Hi, welcome to our podcast. To learn more about Liverpool One Church, join us live, give financially and to get involved, head to liverpoolonechurch.com. We believe God wants to do great things in and through your life today. Enjoy this message. We're in week two of a series that we started last week called What's the Point? And um, I guess that this is how it's gonna go. I'm gonna give you the bad news first. And that is that today, we're gonna be talking about this subject matter of depression. Now, the reason why we're gonna be talking about that today is it's because it's kind of like the knock-on message from last week's talk. Now, some of you are already thinking like, seriously, I've already got enough stuff going in my life. I don't need to be hearing more about depression because I'm depressed enough. Well, the bottom line for me is this, I don't believe that any of my words can really do any good and change your life, but I'm absolutely convinced that the Word of God is alive and real and can make a huge difference in every single one of our lives. That's why I'm convinced in John 10, 10, where Jesus talks, and He starts this whole conversation about that He didn't come so that you could have an ordinary, regular, run-of-the-mill kind of life, but instead that you could have a life that is overflowing with abundance. So I promise you there is good news at the end of this talk as we continue in this subject matter of how to beat depression. Here's a little bit of context really. There are two things that I think that have spurred me on to bring this subject to you. Firstly, I read a book and it's called Out of the Cave by Chris Hodges. I highly recommend you jump on Amazon. In fact, I give you my permission. Jump on Amazon right now. And if you don't like any of the talk, you can just go on Facebook and pretend and tell your mate that really you're ordering the book on Amazon. But like go and get the book. It's a great book. It's written by an author who I really respect. And I would never encourage any single one of you to read a book that I didn't value. So I'm just gonna say that a lot of the content has come directly out of that book and it's been really helpful and inspirational to me. And I trust that it's gonna do the same for you too. But then the second reason really, the second piece of the motivation to talk about this subject comes from just some of life's events over the last couple of years that I've been made aware of. You see, in my world, sometimes being a pastor, being a leader of a church, it can kind of feel like I'm in a little bit of a bubble to a certain extent. And having worked 11 years in the police, I feel that sometimes, like it can feel like it's its own little world. But even in my own little world, there were still events in 2018 and 19 that actually really bothered me. And that was when there were pastors, leaders of some great churches who started to take their own lives. And that just kind of freaked me out a little bit because I just kind of thought like, I, I, I don't get that. I don't understand that. And I started to think about how if pastors, people who are given the privilege and the opportunity to study the Word of God and talk about the Word of God and lead these incredible people in churches all around the world, if they feel like they've got no one to talk to and there's nothing that they can do and no good can come out of whatever it is that they've gotten themselves into, then if that's how it is for them, then maybe that's how it is for every single one of us too. Like maybe this is something that we could all struggle with. So there's the, the backdrop to this talk. So last week, and I'm not gonna go over the whole thing, but you can grab it on YouTube, we basically looked at a guy who I believe is the greatest prophet. His name was Elijah. You can read all about him in the book of 1 Kings in the Old Testament. 
The reason why I say I think he's probably one of the greatest prophets is because even heaven thought that he was great. Like Elijah was a man that had heaven's attention and heaven's respect. And we know that because on the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus took some of his disciples up the side of a mountain, they had a conversation full blown with Moses and Elijah in their heavenly bodies. I mean, how cool is that? Sounds a bit weird, sounds a little bit freakish, but how cool is that? So here is a man that was a follower of God that had taken an oath to follow God and clearly heaven has got time for him. And when you read the account of Elijah's life, what you see is, man, he did some incredible stuff. Like there's one account, and we looked at it last week in 1 Kings 18, where he as this one and only man of God took on these 850 prophets of Baal and Asher, and he was victorious, destroyed them all. It was like the typical story of good versus evil, and he was the victor. And then just moments later, he creates this altar, this sacrifice, and he piles up all of this wood and he soaks it and douses it with water. And in an instant, God burns the whole thing up and consumes it. It's like it's a physical miracle that happened before his eyes. And it's like, wow, this is just amazing. What a guy is Elijah. And yet, it was immediately after the, the mountaintop moments in Elijah's life when he very quickly spiraled all the way down to rock bottom. And as this great prophet, as this great man of God that had done incredible things, he actually suffered and struggled immensely with depression. So last week, we looked at six ways that Elijah took himself towards his own breaking point. Last week, we looked at six ways that Elijah took himself into his own cave of depression. And now this week, we're gonna talk about five ways that Elijah got him out of his breaking point. And Elijah took himself out of this cave of depression. Because these five things, I'm convinced that if they work for Elijah, then they can work for you and I too. So let's jump into it. Elijah was absolutely freaked out because in essence, he received an email one day direct into his inbox. And it was a message from a queen called Jezebel that had told him that she was gonna send someone to kill him. Like it wasn't even sending someone to kill him, it was just a threat. It was a message that someone was going to kill him. And as a result, it even just talks about in scripture like he was just immensely bothered by this. So he ran away, he left his servants, he ran off out into, into the wilderness. Things got so bad for him, he actually started to pray like, God, am I the only good guy here? Nothing good ever happens to me. This is terrible, this is horrible, like I might as well just die. And you read that and you go like, now you're asking God to kill you, even though you've just seen God do the incredible and the miraculous in your life? Like Elijah, how quickly things have changed. And now he finds himself in this cave, he knows that he's got to find a way out. And God really intervenes in his life. And we're going to continue the story in 1 Kings 19, the chapter after the, the mountaintop moment in 1 Kings 18. And we're going to look at the ways in which Elijah brought himself out of his breaking point. So 1 Kings 19 verse 5. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate he drank, and then he lay down again. The angel of the Lord got back up a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. 
strengthened by that food. Notice he wasn't strengthened by God. Strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. You see, the very first thing that you've got to do if you struggle with depression, and I don't want to come across as the guy as like, I'm an expert in this, because my character tends to be a little bit more happy-go-lucky. I'm relatively on an even keel most of the time, I think. Although maybe if you spoke with my kids or my wife, maybe they would tell you something different. But depression, whilst it isn't something that I have ever really struggled with, as I relayed to you last week, there was a time and a season in my life because of the circumstances when my wife was diagnosed with a life-threatening illness that it bothered me so much that it just completely messed up the way that I would think to the point in which I ended up spending a bunch of time with a counselor trying to figure me out. Because what happened was my wife got fit, strong and healthy again and the treatment and the chemotherapy and all that worked. And as she got stronger and healthier, it was like I became more broken. And I think that I'm saying that to not come across like as the guy that feels like I know what you're going through because I kind of don't. But I do know in part, and it may only be a small part, of some of the struggles that we all go through in life. And I'm just trying to say, I'm not perfect and I struggle with this to a certain degree in the same way that some of you would struggle with it, but perhaps to a greater degree. And the first thing that you've got to do if you wanna come out off the floor and off your breaking point, the first thing that you've gotta do if you wanna come out of your cave of depression The very first thing and perhaps one of the most important things that you've got to do if you want to see depression stop taking a hold in your life, like feeling down all the time, feeling like there's no motivation to get up, feeling so downcast at the fact that you've got to go to work again, just like nothing gives you joy, nothing gives you peace. The first thing that you've got to do to move away from that is pay attention to your physical needs. Notice that when the angel first visited Elijah, the angel did not tend to any of his spiritual needs. The very first thing that the angel did when in conversation with Elijah was in essence say, hey Elijah, look, you are so wrecked and messed up right now, you need to go and take a nap and you need to get some food within you. You need to eat, you need to drink, and you need to sleep. And then when you're done, you need to eat, you need to drink, and you need to sleep. It was almost like the angel knew something that our doctors know today. And that's that it's possible for you to be so physically low and physically down that you're not in a place where you could even get better. It's almost like Elijah was just so exhausted. He was fatigued. He was completely worn out. He had no clue what was going on around him and he didn't know how to handle it. He had to go to sleep and he had to have some food. The angel was saying, you've got to take care of your physical needs first. You know, when Emma, my wife, was poorly, we had to go through this season that lasted the best part of six, seven or eight months where we would be in hospital all the time. And we would be there because she would be undergoing chemotherapy. But one of the things that the the hematology ward would always be massive on is they would always kind of say like, make sure you look after yourself. And what they were meaning was is, make sure that you don't get sick whilst you're on this treatment. And what they would say is that that, that it's a possibility that your body can get so sick that we wouldn't be able to treat you. Like there's a possibility that because of what these medicines do to your body and how it works and interacts with all the chemicals, it kind of like switches off your immune system. I know that that's a relatively medically poor way of describing it, but that's kind of what happens. 
And they were saying that you become incredibly vulnerable, just, just a cold, just a flu, just a small virus that wouldn't bother anybody else. It would bother you, and if it bothers you, it would mean that we wouldn't be able to treat you. They were saying like, there's a possibility that you could become so physically unwell that we wouldn't even be able to treat you. And I think that that's exactly the kind of thing that this angel was trying to convey to Elijah. He was saying, look, right now, it doesn't matter what God does in your life because you're so fatigued, you're so tired, you're so worn out, you wouldn't even recognize it anyway. It was like he was saying to Elijah, look, you've got to take some nutrients on your body. You're dehydrated, you're not eating, your body's not seen a vitamin for however long. We can't fix you spiritually until we first fix you physically. You've got to pay attention to your physical needs. That's why I think that sometimes, you know, before you ever make a big decision, before you even go and do anything, I'd be the first to say, hey, why don't you go and take 40 winks, take a nap, just chill out, relax, unwind. Think about it before you do anything. Like learn the art of taking a rest and taking a break because often there are solutions that are around you that you don't even have the strength to implement. So very first off, if you wanna move away from your breaking point, you've gotta take care of your physical needs. You've gotta understand that, hey, you know what? Mowing the lawn, cleaning the car, fixing that thing in the room, installing that other device, updating that software, hey, that can all wait. It doesn't all need to be done in one go. It's a bit like the reason why I think God implemented a Sabbath. You know, the Sabbath, which is the one day of the week where you're not supposed to do anything. You know what we interpret that as? It's the Sabbath, so that means work like crazy at home instead of at work and just go at it. And it's like, no, 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 no. that's not a Sabbath. You need to just slow your world down. Just calm down. Just put the Grand Prix on the TV and take a nap. Like, enjoy yourself. Just relax a little bit. Like all the jobs and everything that's on the list that you're trying to get him to do and she's trying to get you to do. Like just press pause, have some nachos and chill out. Like there it is, permission right there. Take care of your physical needs. And here's the reason why. If you don't prioritize your physical needs, nobody else will. Nobody's gonna do it for you. It's why Psalm, 90 verse 12, it was written by Moses. He encourages us to number our days. He's saying like, look, take count of what's happening in your world. Don't let your world just pass you by. Make sure that this isn't the only time in your week where you have a Sabbath. You know, you get one hour with us in church and in reality, this is one hour where you get to just engage in worship maybe experience the presence of God, listen to a talk like this, and right now you're just kind of relatively, you're kind of chilled and you're kind of calm, right? But just don't let this be the only hour in your week where you experience this. Let's read on verse nine, it says, there he went into a cave and spent the night and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, well, I've been very, he was a scouser. You see, the thing is, he's like, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty and the Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too, God. I've been working so hard, God. I've been doing everything, God. No one's been doing anything. No one's been helping me, God. Like seriously, am I the only good guy? Am I the only person that does any work around here? 
Like, am I the only one that does the dishes? Am I the only one that does the hoovering? Am I the only one? Elijah was doing the same thing that we do. He's moaning and he's groaning. He's like, God, don't you see how hard I'm working? Don't you see the hours that I'm putting in? And you know, God, like I'm doing it for the family. I'm doing it for her, God. Like, don't you see, God, how hard I'm working? And then God responds and he says, the Lord said, go and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. I I like that idea, I'm not gonna lie to you but it is kind of confusing even to me. So here Elijah is at his breaking point and he's like, God, I don't like this. I can't cope with this. I can't handle this. I'm the only good guy left. Nothing good ever happens to me. Woe is me. And God's response to him is, Elijah, you need to go outside and you need to get yourself into the presence of God because I'm about to pass you by. Well, the question that I ask is, well, how does that happen? Like, how do you get into the presence of God? Because we are excellent in churches. We use all of this language and we shout out these phrases like, all you need is the presence of God. And then I'll be sat there like, awesome, how do I get it? Where is it? Where do I buy it? Where do I find it? It's kind of like, what does that even mean? Like, how do you get into the presence of God? You know, if we were to think about it like this, how do you get close to God? How do you get to within such a close proximity of your maker and creator that you actually feel him breathe and you hear him speak. How do you experience that? Well, this is what you've gotta do and then we'll talk about how. If you wanna get out of your breaking point and get out of your cave of depression, then you have to not only take care of your physical needs, but you've got to step in to a physical encounter with God. You've got to figure out a way for you to get into the presence of God. And here's the reason why I'm, I guess, gonna travel this route, is because often when we think about the presence of God, when we think about being close to God, you know what we think about? We think about like the dynamic, the spectacular. But what I have found in my own life is that God is far more easy to find in the intimate than in the dynamic. He's far more easier to find in the stillness and in the quietness of things rather than in the craziness of, God, if you don't send me the angels to dance on my duvet, then I'll never believe you're real. Like honestly, it's way easier to find him in the intimate than in the dynamic. It's why the psalmist wrote in Psalm 46, like be still and know that he is God. Sometimes that's what we need to find the presence of God. You just need to still your life of all the distractions and everything else that's going on. You know, when we were going through this season and Emma was poorly, I spoke to you last week about how it just kind of broke me, messed me up, completely ruined my mind to a certain degree. I'd definitely done a lot of that to myself because Emma and I made a deal and we were like, we're not gonna do the whole go on Google, look at everything, try and figure everything out. We made that promise to one another and then every night I would stay up till three, four o'clock in the morning, get myself into a right mess, trying to understand the science behind rituximab, doxorubicin, vincristazine and all of these different chemicals and the way that work in the body and I would read all of these doctor's documents and read all of these medical articles trying to figure the whole thing out. And I remember for me, for one night, it like reached this point where I was like, 
like, God, I can't do this anymore. Like, I, I cannot do this anymore. And my prayer to God, and I remember it as though it was like a minute ago, I prayed this prayer and I said, God, I need you to get in between me and everything that I'm reading on this computer screen that is causing immense fear, that is crippling to me, that is damaging to me. I need you to get in between of it. And then I started to sing, not even a song, because I couldn't even remember what the song was. But I remember, you know, kind of like, isn't it funny how you always remember certain key moments of your life? Well, I can remember when I was like really starting to pursue God and had made this deal that I wanted to devote my entire life to God. There was this song at the time and it was written by a guy called Matt Redman and the song was called Heart of Worship. And there, in the, there is this um, line in this song and the line is, I'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you. Jesus. Now, I couldn't even tell you the rest of the words of the song, but it's just that line, and it's all about you. And I sat on my desk, well, on the chair, not my desk, as I'm looking at this computer on my desk, and I'm starting to sing, completely out of tune, completely out of key. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm coming back to the heart. And in that moment, it was kind of like the presence of God fell in my room. I felt close. Felt like I could hear him breathe. And now it makes sense to me. Because have you ever found the times and seasons in your life where you feel like you cannot find God? The answer to find God and to walk into his presence is worship. And here's the reason why. Because in John 4, it talks about how God is searching the earth for worshipers. So when you can't find God, start to worship him and he'll find you. He'll find you in your mess in your brokenness, in feeling like you've got nothing good going on, in feeling like you're overwhelmed, start to sing your silly song out of tune and out of key, whatever that might be, because you need a physical encounter with God just as much as you need a physical change to your sleeping and eating patterns. And watch what happens next. 1 Kings 19, in fact, we're gonna miss Psalm 73. 1 Kings 19, it says that when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and stood at the mouth of the cave. He pulled his cloak over his face. You know what he's doing there, I think? I think he's hiding his identity. Do you know when you hide your identity? When you've lost your confidence, because life happens, stuff goes wrong, you become a victim of some circumstances, you lose your confidence and therefore you wanna hide who you really are because you don't feel like who you are measures up anymore. And what we can know about Elijah is that he absolutely had lost his confidence. He lost his confidence on the day that he received the message from Queen Jezebel telling him that she at some point might decide to do away with him. Like when he received that message in his inbox, when he got that DM, when he got that text, when that WhatsApp hit his phone, it was kind of like he lost his confidence and as a result of losing his confidence, he now wanted to hide his identity. That's why the third thing that you've got to do, if you want to get out of your breaking point, if you want to come out of your cave 
of depression is step into your true identity. And your identity is rooted in not who you think you are, but in who God says you are. And, and, and for me, it's kind of like, that's why I think that church should absolutely be, be a critical part of your week. Because where else can you go in life where you're not gonna be told no, where you're not gonna be told what you aren't, where you're not gonna be told you've not made the grade, where you're not gonna be told you haven't got the promotion, where you're not gonna be told, hey, you don't cut it. Hey, church is the one place I think that you can come with full expectation that actually you can find and hear exactly who God says you are, that you are good, that you are loved, that you are cared for, that you are valued. That's who God says you are. You are a son and a daughter of the King Most High. And you know what, if you're anything like me, What's crazy is you can come to church and you can be a part of that. And isn't it funny how it only takes one negative thing to be said about you, against you, whether it's true or not, and then it knocks you all the way back to square one. That's why church is so important for you. You know, um, I have this kind of love-hate relationship with, um, with, with social media. It's kind of like I love it some days and then I hate it other days. Well, a couple of months ago, uh, Emma and I, we bought a house and you know what, it's been like a family dream of ours for, for a long time. In fact, the whole story behind that, maybe in part, we've talked about it in church before, but we bought this house and um, I ended up doing with a bunch of my friends, a bunch of stuff that I've never done before. Like we were digging these holes in the middle of where our living room was gonna go. And I just thought it was cool, I thought it was funny. So like at 10 o'clock at night, we'd be there with like jackhammers and all sorts, literally digging these great big craters in the middle of our floor. And you know what, I just thought it'd be funny. You know what, I'm gonna put a little bit of this out on Instagram and don't ask me why, but I was like, yeah, here we are digging a hole in the floor of our new house. And here's the thing, right? Like there can be like loads of people that'll come on go like, hey, that's great, that's awesome, that's amazing. And then it only takes one person to put something negative on about you and what your family's doing and where you're living and how they think this and that and the next thing. Only takes one thing, right? And all of a sudden it's like their voice seems to have way more weight than all of the positive voices in your life. Sometimes it's just too easy, especially where voices of criticism are concerned, to forget who you really are. And I am not at the beck and call of somebody else's social media rant. It's not me, I'm, I'm not carrying that, I'm not doing it because nobody should ever be able to make you feel inferior without your consent. And I'm telling you that because that's something I've had to learn. I can't be at the beck and call of somebody else on the other side of the planet who I don't even know. I mean, social media is the most unsocial thing on the planet, right? 1 Kings 19, 15 to 18 is where we're gonna go to in a moment because I'm gonna talk about the fourth thing that you've gotta do if you wanna get out of your breaking point but you've got to first consider the physical elements. Like if you're not sleeping, if you're not eating, it's not gonna come good. You've got to worship because if you don't, you'll never encounter a moment in the presence of God. You've got to understand the truth about who you are. You've gotta know that you're a child of the King. Hey, my Bible teaches, the scriptures, this collation of ancient documents teach me that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. And if that's what God says about me, I wanna believe that way more than I'm gonna believe what anybody else would say about me. It's important, but if I only had one one out of the five that I could leave you remembering, leave you kind of just thinking about, it would be this next point. 1 Kings 19 verse 15. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. I want you to just notice, notice that the Lord didn't answer 
any of Elijah's complaints. Isn't that hilarious? It's like Elijah's going, think it's God, I'm the only good guy and nobody else does the work and I'm doing it all. And God, how woe is me, you might as well kill me. And God doesn't answer any of Elijah's complaints. Look how God responds to Elijah. He says, Elijah, go back. Go back the way you came. The where he came from was a place called Beersheba. Beersheba was the place that Elijah made an oath to follow the Lord. Beersheba to Elijah was my spring harvest 1991. That moment where I prayed a prayer on my own, not having a clue how to do it, but it was where I said, God, I wanna follow you with all that I have for all of my life. That was my Beersheba. Your Beersheba may have been in this room where at the end of a talk, you've thrown your hand in the air and you've prayed a prayer saying, I wanna follow you. Your Beersheba, where you made the oath, where you chose to follow God, where you chose to follow Jesus. Maybe it was in another town, another nation, another church, but you've all got a Beersheba, right? It's that time when you first recognise and understand who God is and how much He loves you and that He gave Jesus to die on a cross for you. And now in the knowledge of all of God's goodness, you wanna turn your life around and follow Him with everything that you've got. Now what you find is the Lord says to Elijah, you need to go back to where you came from. You need to find a way, Elijah, of going back to the place of the oath, back to the place where you met your first love, back to the place of where you first experienced the Father's kindness and compassion and grace in your life. Somehow, Elijah, you've got to go back to where it started for you, where you felt close to me, where it was real and it was authentic and it wasn't hype and it wasn't this and it wasn't that. You've got to Find a way to go back to your beer, Sheba. You've got to just get on it. But then he doesn't just say you've got to go back because we're getting to the fourth point. He says that when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king of Syria. Also you shall anoint Yehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of and Abel of you shall anoint as prophet in your place, right? This is what he's saying. <laughs> My Hebrew ain't amazing, right? He's saying not only do you need to go back to be a Sheba, but this is what you've got to do. I want you to go and meet with this guy and anoint him. And then I want you to meet with this guy and I want you to anoint him. And then I want you to meet with this guy and tell him that God's got a plan for his life and that he's loved by God and he's called by God. In other words, he's giving him a bunch of stuff to do. The fourth thing that you've got to do to climb off your breaking point, to climb out of your cave of depression is step into a new assignment. And I'm saying this because even psychologists will tell you now, one of the best ways to help you get through whatever it is that you're going through is you need to get busy doing something new. You need a project, like nothing helps like a project. You need to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself. That's why last week we spoke about, you should absolutely be serving in a local church. Like if this is your home church, don't just come and be a consumer, be a contributor, be a part of something that's bigger than yourself because it's powerful when you're working on a project. Viktor Frankl, who we spoke about last week, he was the guy that had a clinic in Austria that was helping all of the Holocaust survivors get through what they'd been through. He made this statement. He says that people have enough to live by, but nothing to live for. 
they have a means, but no meaning. In other words, it's not the stuff that we think counts that counts at all. It's the bigger picture things. That's why when we think about Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, who had a horrible life. I mean, the guy was shipwrecked. He ended up being bitten by a stake. He ended up being stoned and not in the fun way. He had rocks thrown at his head as people were trying to kill him. Like he had a really rough ride. He was imprisoned. That's why even he, and I'll read it to you. He, he says this, he goes, therefore, we do not lose heart. Can I ask a question, Paul? How? <laughs> How do you not lose heart? Because I know what you've been through and you know what we're going through. Like, how do you not lose heart when it looks like the money's gone? How do you not lose heart when you get sick? How do you not lose heart when your loved one gets sick? How do you not lose heart, Paul, when you've got all of these external things going on around us that bother us so much? Well, he says, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. He was saying this, I have some big problems in my life, but I serve a God that's way bigger. He was saying, I have some stuff going on in my life, but I'm involved in a project that is way bigger than the problems that I'm encountering. And some of you have got to know that what you think is your problem isn't your problem. Your problem is the fact that you're not involved in something bigger than your problem. It causes depression. It causes us to feel low. It causes us to feel like there's nothing good on the horizon. That's why. You know, have you ever had a small child, like they cut their knee and there's a little bit of blood and they're like screaming and they're like, and you're like, oh my gosh, like, is it broken? Does it need amputated? And then you look at it and it's like, like the slightest little scratch and you cannot get them to calm down and you can't console them. And then the moment that you give them a bag of Haribo, it's like, oh yeah, I'll have the Haribo, thanks very much. It's, you know, it's kind of like, oh, okay, because Haribo is bigger than the cut that's going on in my knee. And that's what happens in our life. Sometimes your problem isn't your problem. The real problem is that you've not got anything bigger going on in your life than what you perceive to be the problem. You need an assignment, you need a project, you need to be involved, serving, integrated into the life of a local church. And then finally, 1 Kings 19. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha son of Shaphat, and he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him, and he threw his cloak around him. Here's where it gets real. If you are absolutely convinced that you wanna get off the floor from your breaking point, and you wanna step out of your cave of depression, you've got to step in to a new relational strength. He puts the cloak around him. You know what he's saying? I'm not gonna do this on my own anymore. Remember how we read about Elijah, what he did? He left his servant and he went out into the wilderness all on his own and he made himself an island. He didn't wanna be around everybody, anybody. He just shut the world out. Now he's saying to Elisha, I'm not gonna do this on my own anymore. I'm gonna do it with you. For me personally, again, 
during the most difficult times and seasons that I've had in my life when Em was poorly, there was a big long season where I wouldn't tell anybody what I was up to, anybody what I was doing, how I couldn't sleep at night. So I was just taking all of these like, hey, find me any pill anywhere that's gonna make me go to sleep. Like literally, I just ended up in this real mess. And then the moment that I started to talk to some people who are my friends, my pastors, all of a sudden it was like the load was just lightened because you were not designed to do your life on your own. You weren't created by, you were made in God's image, right? And the very first issue in the garden was not sin, it was solitude. It's not good for man to be alone. So you can't do life on your own. And you know what I would just say about that? Some of you are reluctant to do life with other people because what you think is, if I were to take my mask off and other people found out who I really were, like if I was to tell them what I was up to, what I was doing, if I was to tell them you know, about a secret thing that's going on in my life, I think that maybe in the church, their response would be, huh, you're doing what? Like, no, that's crazy, that's wrong, that's evil. You're not gonna find that response in this church. You're not, I promise you. You're not gonna find that response in this church, not at Liverpool One Church. I'll tell you what you're gonna find. You're gonna find someone that probably says, and I thought that was only me, it's you too. Can we walk through this together? You're gonna find someone that's gonna maybe say, that's funny because I've been dealing with the same thing and this is what I did, it helped me, maybe it will help you. I promise you, you won't find judgment. What you'll find is people willing to allow you to tie into their relational strength. Why is that important? Because show me your friends, I will show you your future. Who you run with in your life determines the direction of your life. Like if you wanna have a look and see where someone's life is headed, just look at who they're running with. And I promise you, it's intertwined, it's going the same way. But if you wanna get off the floor of your breaking point, get out of the cave of depression, you've gotta do those five things, but it's gonna finish with committing to taking a step towards finding relational strength. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you can take that message and apply it to your life. Also, don't forget to take a moment to subscribe, rate and review this podcast. To get connected or stay more connected to the life of Liverpool One Church and learn how you can join us live, visit liverpoolonechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us and we hope to see you again soon.